Well, good morning. It's great to be with you all. Uh, for those of you who I haven't met, my name is Colby Atchison, and I'm the son of Pastor Tom and Kathy Atchison, so it's, it's great to be here. Thanks for the... <laughs> Thank you for the warm welcome. It's been probably a year and a half since my, my wife and our kids have been able to, to come up here and worship with you all. Uh, we're so grateful to be here. This is the church where I grew up, so the fact that I get to now be here with you all to look at God's Word with you is, is such a privilege. I'm grateful to be walking with the Lord at, uh, at my age now and uh, just to look back and see how God has blessed me through this church. Uh, I've been going, I, I grew up at this church, like I said, and for those of you who don't know, a while, a long time ago, we used to meet at Jacobs High School, uh, where I graduated um, back in the day, and so when my dad would get there early for the services uh, at 7.30 or so with the worship team, he would bring me along, and I would just get to kind of walk around that whole building and just kind of feel like I own the place, right? Uh, and then in 98 or 99, we moved into this building. It wasn't as big as it is now. There was no gym. Uh, there was no nice uh, place to have coffee and all of that. It was a much smaller facility. And now I come back today and I see this amazing gym and I see all that's happening and I see that you guys plowed the land down over there. That's amazing. And it's just so cool to see how God is blessing this church and how this church continues to be faithful to God's word uh, over the years. So praise God for that. For those of you who are here uh, joining us through the live stream or in the gym, I'm glad to, uh, to see you or be with you virtually as well. Um, so uh, like I said, um, you know, I grew up in this church, but now I live down in Carroll Stream. My wife, Bethany, is here uh, uh, as well as my in-laws, and we have two children, uh, ages three and one, so we've got a busy, a busy little home right now, and then we have one coming in May, praise God for that. Uh, so um, just really grateful to be here. Uh, I serve as the school principal at a Christian school down in Wheaton, where our faculty and staff work together to equip the next generation with the skills and the virtues and the knowledge they need to impact this world for Christ, to serve Christ through cultivating his goodness, truth, and beauty in the world. So that's what I do for a living. I get to speak in chapel down at the school and get to speak occasionally uh, at the high school ministry um, at our church. And so I'm glad to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, God's word is powerful. This is the word of the Lord, this, this scripture that we get to read and look at. Um, it, it changes lives. It, it searches us. When we open the Word, it's amazing what happens. And I truly believe this. I believe, I believe this with my whole heart. You know, growing up, I had intellectual questions about the faith. I really had to deep, uh, dig in deeply and personally. Um, and after having kind of gone through that time of learning and research, I couldn't... Uh, put my, my life more on the line for this word and our holy God more than ever before. Well, today's message is um, on, on keeping Christ the center uh, in our celebrations. So we're, we're going through a series, right? The last two weeks we kicked this off. Uh, Pastor Brad kicked it off with keeping Christ the center in our daily lives. Uh, and then last week, my dad continued with keeping Christ the center in relationships during this Christmas season. Uh, it's such a busy time. There's so many things pulling us. There's so many to-do lists and uh, gatherings to go to, uh, so many celebrations. And, and so how do we keep, the, how do we keep Christ centered uh, during this 
time. And as I was preparing for this message, it, it, it dawned on me that um, we don't, we don't uh, keep Christ the center. He is the center. Amen? Whether, whether we keep him there or not, um, Paul writes in Colossians that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, through Christ and for Christ. And he is before all things. And in him, in Christ, all things hold together. And he is at the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the Christ. Christ is the center or as Christians in the ancient world confessed in an ancient creed, Christ is the only Son of God, begotten from the Father from before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Christ all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Christ is the center. Amen. Well, today we're going to be looking at one story in Scripture where we see a group of Christians making Christ the center during their celebrations. In particular, we're going to look at one woman who makes Christ the center of our celebrations. It occurs during the Passover, which is a, a major celebration in the Jewish calendar. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to John chapter 12, if you have a phone and want to pull it up in your app, that's fine too. John chapter 12. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Oh, this is God's word. Please pray with me. Lord, as we approach your word now, we pray, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this church now. 
Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the things that you have for us. Lord, that we would see with eyes anew what you have for us. Lord, how good you are to us. Lord, and how we can respond to this message, keeping Christ the center. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as humans, we love to celebrate, don't we? We love to gather together for meals. We love to throw parties, whether it's 4th of July or bringing in the new year, getting together uh, traditions, decorations, lights. We love to celebrate. When I think about big celebrations, my mind can't help but go to the fall of 2016, when the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I'm sure many of you remember this. Uh, It was November 2nd, 2016. It was game seven against the Cleveland Indians. It was eight to seven. It was the 10th inning. The stakes were high. Mike Montgomery Montgomery throws the pitch, and what happens? Grounder to third base. Chris Bryant picks it up, throws it to first. Anthony Rizzo gets the out, and the Chicago Cubs have won the World Series after 108 years. That's amazing. I know you guys want to clap. It's probably sacrilegious, so we shouldn't. But anyway, you see where I'm going with this. It's a celebration. Well, two days later, what happened? The, The Chicago Cub Uh, world descended upon the city for the parade, and five million fans showed up. It was the seventh largest gathering in world history, and the largest gathering in the Western Hemisphere. That's a celebration, and Cubs fans here just know how, how powerful that day was. Well, the, the Jews actually knew how to celebrate themselves. In fact, God made up this idea of celebration. He instituted for the Jews different celebrations, festivals, and feast days that they were to practice in order to keep themselves centered on the goodness of God, on the faithfulness of God. Uh, For example, there was the Passover feast, which is what we're going to be looking at today. It reminded them of of the deliverance from uh, slavery in Egypt. There was the festival of weeks, or the celebration of weeks, where they remembered that God gave them the Torah, the instructions for how to live in God's kingdom, including the Ten Commandments. Uh, There was the festival of the the Day of Atonement, where the nation of Israel was called by God to repent of their sin and turn back to Him. During all these festivals, there was feast, there was music, there was singing, Uh, These festivals were designed to target the mind, heart, soul, and body of the ancient Hebrews and the Jews. God cares about celebration. Well, in this passage, Jesus and his friends are preparing to celebrate uh, the, the, uh, the Passover here. Uh, that's, that's why they are beginning to gather. They're starting to move towards Jerusalem where lots of Jews are heading. And that's where we see this celebration begin to take place. Well, let me pause here to say that what Christmas is for Christians is a celebration of, of what God has accomplished through the incarnation. But instead of God saving Israel, God saves Christians. Instead of God sending Moses he sends his son Jesus, doesn't he? Instead of God rescuing Israel from suffering in Egypt, what does God do? God sends Jesus to enter into suffering as he goes to the cross 
You can see where I'm going with this. As the Jews celebrated the Passover, we celebrate the incarnation at Christmas as Christians, the story of God becoming man. And it's the better exodus, really. As the angel declares in Matthew 1 to Joseph, you shall name your son Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is what we celebrate as Christians at Christmas, and yet in our contemporary culture, uh, so much is going on that we can be distracted from this, and even as Christians, we can forget this. Uh, We can forget that that's the point of Christmas. Uh, This idea of the incarnation is is just confounding to me. That's why I wanted to begin with with this ancient creed that Christians confessed, because it captures just a little bit, gives a little bit of a glimpse of just how powerful of an idea it is that the God of the universe would become human. I mean, the God who created the stars in the sky and the great rivers and high mountains, this amazing creation we have, uh, down to the, uh, up from the highest star to the smallest molecule, God is behind it all. He's all good. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. And he became a human being. He became flesh for our sake, for our salvation and his glory. That's amazing. That's what our parties should be about. That's what our songs should be about and our meals and our traditions. They should all be centered on that story. That's, that's a great story. And yet, we lose sight of that. We fall for some sort of transient, humanistic, self-fulfilling, uh, pleasing approach to Christmas where it's, it's over before you know it and we're back to everyday life and we can lose sight as a result of Christ in this overwhelming season. Well, in John 12 here, I'm going to start to, to get through this passage here. Um, the book of John was written by John to tell the story of the life of Jesus, to convince those who are reading that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that through Jesus we can have life and life in abundance, John 10.10. 10. And not just life on this earth, but eternal life. We can have life after the grave, we can have certainty through Jesus that we will spend uh, our lives in heaven with God forever. This is why John wrote the book of John. And in the book of John, it's basically structured in three parts. Uh, you have the, the chapters that are all about the signs of Jesus that show us that Jesus is the Son of God. And then we have a middle part called the farewell discourse where Jesus basically talks to his disciples and shares a lot about himself and prepares them for the road ahead. And then part three is all about the passion narrative, Jesus' journey to the cross, his death and resurrection. So that's how the book of John is organized. And our passage here is about the story right before Jesus is heading to the cross, right before the Passover. When we look in this passage, uh, we see three key characters, and that's how I'm going to kind of explain this passage today, through three characters. We have Mary, we have Judas, and we have Jesus. Um, Grab some water real quick here. I was listening to my dad's sermon uh, this past week, and I noticed that he he talked a little bit about Judas last week, so it's always good to get a little Judas. What do you think? I don't know. (laughs) Well, first, let's look at at Mary, and this is not Mary, Jesus' mother, and it's, it's probably not Mary Magdalene either. It's a different Mary, a, a follower of Jesus, uh, the brother of Lazarus, who God had just, um, Jesus, who had just raised from the dead. 
um, and they are celebrating actually Jesus. Uh, they're having a feast for Jesus in honor of Jesus uh, before the Passover meal. So we'll, already we see a little bit of a glimpse of how to keep Christ the center here. Um, they're celebrating because Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. It's an amazing story, and you'll notice in, in verse two that they're verse two and three that they are uh, reclining at the table here. Um, where is that? Uh, verse two, they're reclining, and that's obviously a, an odd thing for us to hear. We we sit at chairs, but in the ancient world, they would they would recline. And you know, if I were Lazarus here, I would be careful about reclining too long because. <laughs> The last time he reclined, he didn't get up, right? Uh, (laughs) um, But they're reclining at the table, and then all of a sudden, Mary does something quite scandalous. She pours out a ton of perfume all over Jesus, all over his feet. And in some of the other Gospels, it says his whole body, basically, beginning with his head. And what we learn here is that this perfume was expensive. This stuff wasn't cheap. In fact, it was... uh, likely the cost of an entire year's salary. Can you imagine dumping an entire year's salary on the ground, on someone's feet, in just a few seconds? I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's, that's bold. It's scandalous. It's, it's crazy. Uh, what, what could be behind Mary's devotion to Jesus? Uh, what had she seen? What had she heard? Well, for starters, she had just watched Jesus raise her brother from the dead. That's amazing right there. She had seen him walk on water. She had heard the stories of how he had healed the blind, had cast out demons, had healed the sick. And now Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the bread of life. This is Jesus. And Mary's eyes are now opening to who he really is. And she realizes there's nothing that she can't give to the man in front of her. He is the Son of God. This is what she's seen. And I think some of us here today have not quite seen who Jesus really is. We we haven't quite caught the vision for just how amazing Jesus is, that he's no mere human, no mere teacher or prophet, but he actually is the Son of God. And he came and he lived among us and he died on the cross for our sins. And he wants He wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants us to become part of his family. And yet some of us still need to see these signs, and we haven't been looking. If you are not yet a Christian, I would encourage you to begin looking for the signs to see that God is working in your life, that God is calling you to himself. Still others of us are here this morning. We have seen, we have become Christians, and yet This idea of pouring perfume all over Jesus' feet, of spending that kind of money, we can't help but cringe at that. It it feels wasteful to us. In other words, we can't tip over that jar ourselves. We can't break that jar ourselves. We are not yet ready to go all in. I'm sure there are some people like that as well, and yet that's exactly what Jesus, who is the King calls us to do, to go all in complete devotion for his kingdom, to surrender our relationships to him, our finances to him, our future careers to him. Jesus wants it all. So Mary, we, hear, we see here, makes Christ the center of the celebration. And sometimes I wonder if, 
if, if somebody was looking upon Christians and how we celebrate Christmas versus how non-Christians celebrate Christmas, could they see a difference? Or are we so swept up in the culture and how the culture celebrates Christmas that it's hard to tell the difference? Well, with Mary here, there's a clear difference, isn't there? There's a, there's a radical Christ-centered approach to the celebration that's worth us all following. So that's Mary. Well, next, let's look at Judas. What's, what's Judas doing here? Well, Judas sort of uh, pretends to care about the poor here, doesn't he? And John, who's writing this, uh, can't help but offer the, the commentary that he doesn't actually care about the poor. Uh, he's, he's interested in his own, his own pocketbook, right? He's the, the bookkeeper of the discipleship uh, gang, we could say, of the disciples. And uh, he's interested in saving money so that he can actually uh, make money, saving the money from, from the, the perfume. Uh, what we see in Judas is actually, at best, a financial pragmatism, which I think as humans we are tempted to do. We're tempted to do the calculations ourselves in terms of, you know, should I really give that much to the church or to missions or to Operation Christmas Child? Um, you know, I could really invest it, and then down the road I'd even have more money to give. And we start telling ourselves stories about, about how we, we can do things better than maybe how God would have us do it in the moment. And I think here with Judas, at best, we see financial pragmatism that we need to be aware of. At worst, of course, is, a, is an empty moralism. It's just, uh, oh, we ought to do the good thing and help the poor uh, because, you know, we ought to do that. And that's a good thing, and certainly that is a good thing. And yet, and yet we see here that Jesus, uh, Jesus was, was wanting this to happen. Jesus did not reject Mary when she poured the perfume on him. Jesus understood that full devotion to him was even better than giving it to the poor in this moment. And that actually by surrendering your life to Christ, the poor in this world, which God has a great heart for, will be better served and better loved. But Judas here, he misses out, doesn't he? He clings on to worldly affairs. I, I wish we knew more about Judas in the story. I really do. Just what exactly happened that led his heart to be calloused to the things of Jesus? Because even though he followed along with the disciples and followed Jesus, Judas missed it. And as a result, he misses out, doesn't he? He misses out on the joy of the Lord. He misses out on the peace that comes with making Christ our king. He couldn't surrender everything I just talked about to him, finances, relationships, and all of that. For him, it seems rooted in selfishness, a desire to be independent, to run his own life. Judas couldn't do that, and as a result, when he sees the perfume being poured on Jesus' feet, it's just a pure waste to him. He can't see anything else but that. Well, now we move to our third character here, which is Jesus. And as I said, Jesus accepts Mary's act. He does not resist it. You see, Jesus sees the big picture. He knows the cross is coming. He knows that he's not going to be there much longer with his disciples, that this is an opportunity for Mary to declare and show her full devotion to him. It's not a coincidence, of course, that this is the week of Passover, that that's coming where they celebrate Passover, and I'll get into that in a second, and that at the end of our passage here in verse 8, uh, verse 7 and 8, we see that Jesus is thinking about his burial. There's a connection to the upcoming 
death and suffering of Jesus. You might remember the story of the Exodus, that on their way out from Egypt, God commanded the people of Israel to sacrifice a lamb and to spread the blood on the doorposts of their homes so that when the angel of death passed, they would, it would pass over those, those doorposts and, there, and thereby save the, the Israelites from death. Well, Jesus is our Passover lamb, isn't he? He is the sacrifice once and for all made for our sin, for our rebellion against God, for our disobedience. He went to the cross for our sake. He is the Passover lamb, and he is going to the cross soon. And again, as much as God loves the poor and wants to see us be generous in giving to the poor and helping those who need help, Jesus understands in this moment that he is soon leaving the disciples, and now is the time to give full devotion to him. So here we have in this short story an example of Mary giving her devotion uh, to Jesus, of making Christ the center of the celebration. It's It's a great, great example of this. And so now I want to just take a few minutes to think with you all about how we can apply this passage Uh, during this Christmas season, how we can make Christ the center of our celebrations. And I think really the key for Christians here is to introduce introduce Christ-centered practices into this Christmas season, into our daily lives, as individuals, as members of families, and here at this church. That's going to be our goal here. Now, let me encourage us for a moment that uh, this isn't the first time that Christians have struggled to make Christ the center of the season. In fact, that's actually why Advent was started. That's where it came from. The whole season of Advent idea came from Christians who thought, you know, we should probably prepare for the Christmas day. Otherwise, bam, it's December 25th, and like Judas, we could miss it. So let's, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Let's start celebrating Advent, which means coming or arrival. Let's start celebrating the arrival of Jesus earlier than Christmas Day so that when Christmas Day comes, our hearts and minds are ready to respond in full worship to Jesus. So that's where Advent comes from. And if you haven't already, I would encourage you to consider getting an Advent wreath or an Advent devotional. They, they have those uh, in the back over over in that part of the church there. And that's a great way to lead your families or yourself in preparing for the Christmas season and keeping Christ the center. You know, there are so many things going on, like I mentioned, there's carols and meals and decorations. And I do think that as Christians, we need to get creative. We need to think through what, what new traditions can we start? Uh, can we lead in our families, in our homes, with our friends, in our life groups? Uh, that can help us stay centered on Christ. Well, I just, just to think through individually, family, and church for, for the last couple of minutes here, individually, a way to stay centered on Christ, and this isn't anything new, is to spend time with God yourself. It's to carve out time to have personal time, devotional, prayer, whatever you want to call it, with God. Uh, opening God's Word um, at a time when you can pray and think through and reflect on God's goodness in your life. So that's one way that you can make Christ the center of your celebrations this Christmas season. 
Um, another, as families, is to just be thoroughly Christ-centered in the things that you do every day, especially meals. That's a great time. In our family, we've got a little prayer card jar, and we just take a little card from the prayer jar and, and read that uh, before, we, before we eat together. And usually, uh, my dad's name is Drawn. We're, we're praying for him a lot, you know. Uh, <laughs> Justice, our son, he can't read, but he, he thinks he can. And so, you know, he'll take a card and, and make something up, right? And we'll either confirm it. He doesn't like it when we disagree with, with what he's read here. But, but anyway, you know, taking something as simple as a meal and infusing it with meaning, with a Christ-centered prayer, something like that. Um, devotionals after dinner or before bed are great. Introducing music into that or games, making it fun. Again, God is the, the source behind celebrations. These were his idea. So how can we make our celebrations Christ-centered? I encourage you to be thinking about that. Before opening gifts on Christmas morning, how about instead of running to the gifts right away, take a few minutes as a family, and just pray together. Maybe sing, sing a song or read a short passage of Scripture Center your minds on Christ before you move into the festivities of the Christmas morning. Generosity is important as well, and it was encouraging to see the, the Operation Christmas uh, Child uh, project that you guys are doing, just thinking through how we can be more generous. Well, finally, uh, a final way to make Christ the center during our celebrations is through church, and I was really encouraged to hear about the Christmas Eve services that are, are happening, and the church really is the family of God. So if you're new to this church, if you've been checking this church out, or if you've been here for a while, I encourage you to really jump in and get involved at Fox Valley Church. Make this your home. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Fox Valley Church is a great place to make Christ the center. We need communities that are going in the same direction as us. You know, I hear friends tell me that they, they feel distant from God or that they're, they're losing their, their passion for the Lord. And then I, I find out that they haven't been going to church for three months. And it's, it's not a surprise to me, right? That's, that's not how God designed us. That's not how He wired us as human beings, right? Where we spend our time, where we put our treasure, that's where our heart's going to go. So minimally, I would say, let's, let's go to church this Christmas season. Let's look forward to that. And let, that's a great way that we can keep Christ the center. Well, for Christians today, God is calling us to have Christ at the center this Christmas season in our celebrations, in our festivities. If you're here today, commit to recovering the joy of Christ and think through how you can implement that into your daily life. And if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, I would encourage you to continue to investigate who this person Jesus is. Pray, ask God to open your eyes to see that you would see Jesus for who he is as the Son of God. Now is the time to see as Mary has saw, saw Jesus. God has rescued us from our sin. Christ has led us out of the bondage of Egypt, right? Out of our own sin. He became flesh, the incarnation. He is the Passover lamb for our sake and our sal uh, salvation. This is the story of Christmas. This is why we celebrate as Christians. Christ is the God of the ages. He's the Lord of creation. He's the center, whether we like it or not. So we might as well get on board and see that in Christ there's life and joy and peace. I hope you see it, and I'll be praying that you do. Please pray with me now.
Dear Lord, we thank you for this passage today. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the example of Mary. Lord, we thank you that you softened Mary's heart that day, and she saw you, perhaps for the first time, as who you really are, the chosen Messiah, the Son of God. I pray, Lord, for those here this morning, whether in person or watching through the live stream, Lord, I pray that you would move now in their hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that they would see with fresh eyes who you are and what you have done for them, how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.